following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. So in this course, we've been explaining the principles of meditation. We mentioned that meditation is a state of consciousness. It is not a technique. Although in this tradition, we study many practices, many dynamics, many exercises that lead to this state within our daily life. Meditative states, experiences, cognizance, can always be understood through the balance of two things, study and practice. This is known as method and wisdom within Buddhism. And as Samael and Vyor, the founder of our tradition, stated, knowledge and being must be balanced within harmony in order to produce comprehension. So we must have knowledge of the method, what different religions teach in their very heart how to achieve the experience, the perception of the divine. This is why we, in this tradition, study many aspects of religion, because they all teach something very valuable about how to meditate. And in the spirit of this course, we are exploring the science of meditation as taught within Sufism. Although we do reference and study Buddhism, Judaism, all religions. We must always study Gnosis wherever it may be found because the principles of Gnosis are universal. And we know from our studies that Gnosis is direct knowledge. 
It is cognizant experience. It is the state of meditation, of understanding. And because meditation is universal, we can always drink the wine of Gnosis from a Sufi, Buddhist, Christian cup. The religious forms are different, but the complete knowledge is the same. And it's important that we learn to drink this wine, this divine teaching, within every tradition, without exception. But we also must never pollute the purity of that knowledge with extemporaneous things, with novelties, innovations. We must not adulterate the wine of Gnosis through a bad cup, through a filthy chalice. And this is a symbol of how meditation in different traditions throughout time originally taught this teaching, this profound science. But with time and the degeneration of humanity, those religious forms have been corrupted. So in the times of Jesus, the Gospels speak about the Pharisees, which can really symbolize any person from any tradition who thinks that they know Gnosis, the wisdom of direct experience, but they have merely corrupted the original teaching through belief. And we've mentioned many times in our lectures and courses that Belief is not real knowledge, real faith. When we believe in something, we think it is true or we feel it is true, but we don't know. Faith is gnosis. It is what we've experienced. It's what we have verified. And this is the very pure fountain of wisdom which we always must drink from. We always must validate through our own practice, our own experiences. And when we have that experience, we are able to look at any religion, any teaching, and find the principles of that doctrine to recognize it, to know it, because we have seen it for ourselves. We know it for ourselves. But the Pharisee, a type of psychology that thinks it knows, but does not, is prevalent in any tradition. And as Jesus of Nazareth stated, the Pharisees wash the outside of the cup, but not the inside, which is a symbol of the soul. It also can refer to religious tradition, meditative traditions where the principles of this doctrine have been lost. Because people thinking that they know and understand the scriptures from experience, they mix that wisdom with impurity. And also this is why Jesus stated, 
we must pour new wine and new wineskins. It means to have a psychological attitude that is investigative. To open one's mind to the new and to simply experiment. We have to look at these practices and really test them from our own experience to really have genuine faith, to really know. And this is a conundrum or a catch-22 for students who approach any tradition. They are inspired to want to know themselves, to study themselves, to experience divinity. But because we are so corrupt with ego, we often do not know where to look for that wisdom. And so in the beginning, we are blind. This is why there is a great danger in the beginning for students to simply attach themselves to any teaching without verifying or testing it, to accept and believe in it with their minds and hearts, but without awakening the consciousness. But we study all religions. We drink gnosis, direct experience, not only from the writings of Samael on Vior, but from the Sufis, from the Buddhist masters, from the great Kabbalists of Israel. But this indicates that we have to know how to read, to understand. We have to learn how to verify. We have to experiment. And this is why we study all religions unanimously to look at their essential principles, to know what they all teach in their essence, so that we don't become confused or intoxicated by the wine of theories, of belief systems, of merely accepting or rejecting a doctrine in our mind and heart, but without really comprehending the value of it. So Gnosis, again, is real faith. It is witnessing divinity, which the Muslims say is shahida, the declaration of faith. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. And we explain the meaning of that term, shahida, which relates to mushahida, in Arabic signifying meditation. So we are going to further explore the principles of meditation according to Sufism. In order to fill a very severe need in our studies, many people are not familiar with how meditation is taught within the Sufi teaching, how Gnosis is within Sufism. And as we were talking about the allegory of the cup, we also have to be very careful when we study. Gnosis is often mixed. The principles of meditation are often mixed with corruption. Every tradition in time degenerates. It is a law of nature. It has happened with Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, and even today in the Gnostic tradition. 
It's because the root knowledge is often overlooked, untaught, or forgotten. To have real wisdom is based on experiencing the truth for ourselves. And in this way, we don't get lost. We don't get confused. When we see or hear things that are not in coherence, do not correlate with what we have verified. And this is the importance of studying the divine law and the way in harmony. The divine law is that we serve divinity through our practices. The way is that we experience the truth. And in this way, in our process of developing both knowledge and being, studying the tradition of meditation, no matter where it's found, we also test and experiment, we verify. We always look at the principles of a teaching to see what is pure, what is true. And then we disregard that which is superfluous, corrupted, unnecessary. So I'd like to define for you what the word principle means as we're opening this discussion. In the online dictionary, a principle is a fundamental truth, a proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. A principle is a fundamental law or truth. It is what we can verify, what we can experience. And this becomes a foundation for a system which in this definition refers to belief. Or in this definition refers to belief, which is inaccurate. While principles always make up any religion, in our studies, we don't believe in these things. Some people may, and they can teach what they like, and they can get many followers because they really believe that they know. But we have to go beyond the surface and really get at the heart of what a teaching, a school, a method entails. Principles can also refer to a code of behavior, which we spoke about very abundantly in the previous lecture, on the nature of the divine law and ethics. It also can support a chain of reasoning, of understanding, of comprehension. So in the beginning of our studies, we read, we reflect, we comprehend the knowledge with the mind. We learn the terminology, the explanations, but more importantly, we have to apply what we read. This is the balance of knowledge and being. This is the balance that leads us and conducts us towards integrity to comprehension. A principle also is a general scientific theorem or law that has numerous special applications across a wide field. So it can be a law. Principles like gravity. These are tangible experiences. 
These are truths that are not merely just a concept. It is a factual element of life. And while the principles of meditation pertain to our mystical states, they refer to how we live our life daily. What we know, what we see, what we verify. We know that if we act with anger, we will suffer. This is a principle or law of human behavior, of ethics, which is why ethics is always the foundation of any tradition in order to really enter meditation. And as we stated, we find Gnosis in all religions, without exception. But just because Gnosis was the heart of those traditions, not everything that was taught in those faiths has been sustained, has lived, has not been corrupted. And it's sad to say, there are many people who take the principles of meditation, the principles of Gnosis, the teachings of Samael and Vior, or Sufism, or Judaism, or Buddhism, and they adulterate them with drugs, with politics, sectarianism, fanaticism. And many even attribute these qualities to the original heart of the founders of the religions themselves. And this is very sad. It creates a lot of confusion, a lot of conflict. People project their concepts onto the knowledge. And that is how one adulterates that knowledge. Because of a lack of genuine ethics, of following the divine law, many so-called spiritual people have driven people away from the actualization or study of themselves. We find this in every faith, especially Islam, which is a tradition that has been greatly abused. And hopefully after this course you will find that the principles of Gnosis are very alive within the original writings, which we always have to examine in light of our own experience and through teachings by Samael and Vior, who gives a very cohesive and comprehensive perspective, a practical wisdom that can aid us in understanding these things for ourselves. So as Samael and Vera wrote in The Revolution of Beelzebub, it is absurd to adulterate Gnosis with different teachings because the Christian gospel prohibits adultery. It is absurd to conceive of Gnosis without the Mythuna, sexual magic. And we'll make some references to that teaching, Tantrism, Sacred Alchemy, within our discussion of essential principles today. We can drink the wine of Gnosis divine wisdom within a Greek, Buddhist, Sufi, Aztec, Egyptian, etc. cup. Yet we must not adulterate this delicious wine with strange doctrines. So this means that we look at what the Sufis wrote, what the Gnostics wrote, and we verify. We look at those traditions with an eye of discrimination and selectivity. We have to look at the essential principles of these traditions and to understand them from experience. 
There is no other way. The way must be validated through the divine law, and the divine law must be validated through the way. So in this way, Bayazid Bastami, a Sufi initiate, stated, the thing we tell of can never be found by seeking, yet only seekers find it. So we can never seek for genuine knowledge just through mere intellectual pursuit. We have to understand these things through practice. So genuine seeking is through daily meditation, daily experience. So how should we approach meditation? To emphasize my previous point, we have to look at the original scriptures. We have to look at the original writings. Before commentators or commentary derived from those root sources. So whether we study Buddhism or Sufism or any teaching, we have to look at the founding documents, the original verb, the fundamentals of religion, and to really look at it with a clear mindset. an attitude of investigation. The following is from a Sufi book called Al-Risalah, known as Principles of Sufism, written by a master by the name of Al-Kushari. His writings were often used by the Sufi master Rumi amongst the Mevlevi Sufis, his disciples. And it's a very rich book that you can study if you wish to understand the principles of Sufism, the principles of Gnosis. And we quote from this book extensively because it is a very pure document. And if I give testimony of this, it's because it is a text that I have investigated many times and have had experiences internally about in the astral plane, in the mental plane, beyond. We have to learn to investigate the written word, and to reflect deeply on what we read, to balance study and practice, method and wisdom. This is what it means when Al-Jurari stated in this book, was quoted in this book, a clear vision of the fundamentals of religion comes about through the application of their derivative principles. And the derivatives are corrected by comparing them against the original sources. There is no way to the stage of contemplation, meditation, mushahida, of states, except by esteeming as great the means and principles that God has esteemed to be great. So the fundamentals of religion refer to the Latin relegare, reunion, Unification with divinity. We must study and apply, more importantly, derivative principles. What are these principles? Serenity, concentration, faith, ethical behavior, codes of conduct, 
divine love. These are qualities of mind, of consciousness, qualities of the soul that we can develop intentionally so as to achieve reunification with our inner God. We have to study and apply these principles in our daily life through our ethical behavior. And the derivatives, derivative refers to qualities of consciousness that originate from those laws. So a principle is a law, a law of nature, whether in the physical plane or the internal planes. What principles do we enact in our life in order to obtain religion? What do we do on a daily basis to guarantee we will experience and know the state of our inner being, our inner God? What about our life derives from these principles? By fulfilling ethical conduct, what is the derivative? What is the result in our factual daily life? We have to investigate this. But to know these principles, we can study. This is the beauty of Sufism. It teaches us the level of being, what we are psychologically, what are the virtues of the soul. So when we comprehend and eliminate certain defects, when we enact ethical behavior and really comprehend our faults, we develop the virtues of the being in us. We derive genuine contentment, happiness, liberation by following these laws of the soul. So Sufism is very beautiful for that understanding. It teaches us about the virtues of the being. And we can experience these things if we're working seriously. So these derivatives are corrected by comparing them against the original sources. Another meaning is we can study the writings of many teachers, whether from Buddhism, Sufism, Judaism, Gnosticism. But whenever we really study a tradition, we have to really look at the, the founder of those faiths. We have to look at the original sources to analyze them, to really understand them intellectually at first, and then through our experience. So what I mean by original sources, I mean the writings of the Buddha, the sutras, the tantras, the writings of Padmasambhava. In Islam, the Quran. In the Gnostic tradition, the writings of Samael on Vayor. We have to look at the original writings of the prophets beings who really demonstrated a high level of integrity and understanding. The writings of Jesus or the scriptures about Christ. We have to look at these original sources, compare them to everything else that came after because the writings or the teachings of the prophets have precedence. They have the most light or knowledge. So we have to study where the light is most pure and learn to compare what came afterward with a sense of integrity and discrimination because impurity comes later. The light initiates, 
but the shadow emerges afterward. So it's good to really be studious. It doesn't mean that we just become bookworms, but it means that we develop our understanding with a lot of patience and practice. Because there is no way to the stage of contemplation, the witnessing of divine states, except by esteeming as great the means and principles that God has esteemed to be great and the teachings of the prophets. They gave methods and means, principles of divinity, laws of the cosmos that are really divine. And we have to really understand what these laws are for ourselves. Because there is a system, there is a way, there is a path. It is specific. It is based on laws. It is not a belief or a concept to adopt, a behavior to imitate superficially. It is a code of conduct, a way of acting consciously. It is the fulfillment of law, the law of causality. Because the soul cannot be created, the consciousness cannot be developed if we do not apply the principles or laws that ensure its fulfillment in us. Just as there is a law of gravity, there are the laws of the soul, of developing the soul. So if we wish to return to God, we have to learn to adopt and practice and understand how those laws of divinity operate based on facts. And in this way, when we see how this teaching works, how ethics works, how compassion is really the essence of religion, of harmonizing communities, of bringing real peace and love in our own life and the lives of others, we realize with awe that it is a beautiful knowledge. It is a great thing that is so wonderful, it is incomprehensible to the mind. But when we experience those states of beatitude, of compassion, of serenity, it truly transforms us. And this is how we empower our practice when we have those experiences. But first we have to study and apply the knowledge. We have to know the principles of God, the principles of meditation, and to work very diligently to experience them. But not out of craving, the desire that wants to have some kind of samadhi or mystical experience, but simply changing our daily life, working on behaviors that make us suffer, so that we can obtain a state of knowledge, the certainty that certain ways of behaving are wrong, create problems, and certain ways of behaving also produce harmony, happiness. This is how we inspire ourselves. And this is how we develop certainty, real faith that this knowledge works. And this is why we're going to examine some writings from the Quran that talk a lot about this nature of certainty, of real faith, 
So everybody in this knowledge, this teaching of Samael and Vior, wants to develop certainty. Every practitioner who is really applying meditation wants to have that verification of the truth, wants to have a foundation in experience to really know that we know and that we have experienced God, that we know divinity in whatever level because there are degrees of knowledge but also there are degrees of certainty. There are some very beautiful teachings within this Muslim scripture but I will preface this discussion by saying the Quran is a very closed book. It is a book for initiates. People who are really walking the path of meditation, of the signs of alchemy from the Arabic Allah and the Greek Kemia to fuse oneself with divinity in the perfect matrimony and also the study of Kabbalah. So we know that Kabbalah is the Jewish mysticism and we'll talk about the tree of life near the end of this lecture. But the Hebrew Kabel means to receive knowledge that we are certain of from experience relating to our physical life and internal life. Just as there is Kabbalah within the Jewish tradition, we also have Kabbalah in the Arabic tradition because Arabic and Hebrew, the Semitic languages, share the same roots. They're very ancient. We always must study the science of meditation, the science of alchemy, if we are married. And if we are single persons, we can practice many exercises to work with energy so as to awaken consciousness. This is the science of transmutation, of mutating the creative force of our body into understanding, into light. So there are three forms of certainty within the Quran which can help us to understand the whole map of meditation and our own experiences. I've included the Quranic verses where you find these terms mentioned and I will read for you excerpts from the Quran that talk about these principles. There is the knowledge of certainty, ilm al-yakin. There is the seeing of certainty, ayn al-yakin. And there is the truth of certainty, haq al-yakin. So, what is the knowledge of certainty? It refers to what we know with the intellect. We can study a religion, a system, a principle, a faith. And we can have a certain level of certainty in our mind, intellectually, that we know. We learn the theory, the concepts, the languages, the terms. We see how the system works, at least in the mind. We have concepts that are organized, a type of rationalization, which is necessary in the beginning. This is why when we talked about the definition of principles, it is also a fundamental truth for supporting a chain of reasoning. This knowledge is very logical. It is very 
dynamic, concrete. Knowledge of certainty refers to things making sense in our readings and our studies because we have to have that knowledge in the intellect first, but we can't just leave that there. We have to really see with certainty what those principles entail. And this is the second level of certainty. Ayn al-yakin. Al-yakin means certainty. Ilm means knowledge. And ayn, if you studied Kabbalah, refers to sight. The eyes are perception. To see with certainty means that we have experienced what that knowledge entails. We can be reading about astral projection, dream yoga, meditation, samadhi, and have that knowledge of certainty in our intellect of what that teaching entails. And this is good. But the next step is to really practice and to experience and see that truth for ourselves. So not just hearing about an astral projection or reading about it, but actually experiencing it for yourself. That is Ayn al-Yakim, the seeing of certainty. It is what we have verified. But there's an even deeper level to that knowledge. Haq al-Yakim, the truth of certainty. This is a very profound level of knowledge. And we mentioned in our previous lecture, Hakikah is the truth, the highest teaching of yoga, of religion, of meditation. It is the profound knowledge, marifa, of the truth, al-haq, which is one of the names of Allah in the Quran. To have the truth of certainty means not only just having an astral projection, which is very beautiful, very powerful, very profound. It means to have a tremendous samadhi in which the soul is lost within the being, in which we become the being the being manifest in us, a state of happiness and liberation that is truly undefinable, profound, beyond words. It means to be completely free of the ego. There is no ego there, no I, no me, no myself. There is only al-haq, the truth, which is why the Sufi master Mansur al-Halaj before the Orthodox Muslims stated Ana al-Haq he said I am the truth which of course scandalized those people who were very fanatic and religious institutionalized dogmatic because Haq is one of the names of God and basically he said I am God but people did not understand that it wasn't Mansur al-Halaj who said that. It was the truth within him saying that. Just as Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Only divinity can say that. And that's a very high level of attainment. The level of a master who is reaching perfection. And it's very profound. And don't think that you cannot have that experience to a degree in the beginning because your being can give you that knowledge that certainty if he wants you just have to be diligent about your work but don't get confused after those experiences thinking that we are God because we are not 
We know from experience what divinity is. We have the truth of certainty. We know it. But we return back to our body, through our experiences, from dream yoga, or whatever. And then we learn to walk our daily life, to continue working. Because experience of the truth doesn't mean complete self-realization of that truth. In order to self-realize, we need to annihilate the ego. So this is the problem with certain people in our tradition who have an experience of the truth, the truth of certainty. They unite with God. And then they come back saying, I am the master so-and-so, follow me. And this has led to many problems in the movement. Because experience of the truth is temporary. Self-realization is something else. But this is not to denigrate those experiences because we need those experiences. We need to have truth of certainty in meditation. We need to know these things for ourselves. But it doesn't mean that we become mythomaniacs. That's a term we use in this top knowledge to make a myth of manas, myth of mind. The mind thinking it is God, it is not. So that consciousness can experience the truth can see the truth. The mind could have knowledge of certainty, knowledge of the truth, in the intellect. But the actual experience is something else. The consciousness is not the mind. The consciousness can see with more or less clarity. But to know the truth of certainty, we have to be free of ego, even if just for a temporary moment in our meditations. The Sufi master Ibn Arabi stated that knowledge of certainty is like hearing about a fire. He said the seeing of certainty is like seeing a fire and the truth of certainty is being burned by fire. Degrees of knowledge, degrees of experience. But don't think that these types of states are inaccessible to you. Many people hear about these truths and become overwhelmed, feeling that it is impossible for them to know this truth, to know these experiences for themselves. This is why in the Quran, chapter 50, verse 15 through 16 states, Did we fail in the first creation? But they are in confusion over a new creation. And we have already created man and know what his soul whispers to him. And we are closer to him than his jugular vein. So there's a lot of interesting teachings in this verse. Did we fail in the first creation, says divinity? This first creation is the birth of our body, our physical conception. And when speaking about people who don't really practice meditation, they are in confusion over a new creation. This new creation is the soul, the soul that we develop. Because the body is one thing, the soul is another. We have to create the consciousness, build consciousness, develop consciousness. And this way we form the true man, the true human. Hum means spirit in Sanskrit. Man or manas means mind. A mind that is fully united with divinity, the spirit. That is a true human. So divinity in the Quran states, we created the human being already. And we know what his soul whispers to him. 
So this is a very high level to obtain, to be a real man or true human being, a woman. And we are closer to him than his jugular vein. People think divinity is far away, but God is with us in every moment. This is why ihsan, beautiful action, is to act as if we see God even if we do not, because surely he sees us. Divinity, the being has been given many names in the Quran. He is al-murid, the willing. Al-mutakalim, the speaking. Al-basir, the seeing. Al-kadir, able to do precisely what he wills. Al-kahir, the all-powerful. Al-alim, the all-knowing. Al-wadud, the loving. Al-Kalik, the Creator. So these are states of being, qualities of consciousness, which are not mixed with impurity. These are states of truth, Al-Haq, which we can have certainty of if we really work with all the tools of this tradition. We work with meditation, we work with exercises of energy, known as transmutation, and we work to serve humanity, to help humanity. We learn these states of being through applying the principles of meditation. This is what leads us to the three forms of certainty. We have to learn how to first study what these qualities are. But then we have to see them from experience. And if we're really serious, our being will enter us and help us, will manifest in our deeds will manifest and express in our daily life as these qualities, al-murid, the willing, al-alim, the all-knowing, al-wadud, the loving, al-kalik, the creator, principles, laws of the soul, laws of divinity, which are very high. But we can taste these in meditation in our daily life if we're working seriously, working daily. So what does it mean to have knowledge and seeing of certainty. I'll read for you some excerpts from the Quran where we find these verses, these terms. The knowledge and seeing of certainty are found in Surah 102, known as Al-Takatur, rivalry and worldly increase. And this scripture refers to how people, when they approach meditation, when they approach religion, are often afflicted by desire for pursuing worldly things. And that to have real knowledge of certainty and seeing of certainty is to contemplate the inevitability of death. Because if we don't live our lives seriously with this type of knowledge, we don't know where we're going to go when we die. But if we awaken our perception, we develop the seeing of certainty, we can know everything and then we can generally access the truth. Competition and worldly increase diverts you until you visit the graveyards. Know. You are going to know. Then know. You are going to know. Know. If you only knew with the knowledge of certainty, you will surely see the hellfire, states of suffering, 
the future that awaits those who do not eliminate the ego. Then you will surely see it with the eye of certainty. Then you will surely be asked that day about pleasure, meaning vain worldly pleasures. So we have to be serious about meditation. And many times in many traditions, students are asked to meditate about the certainty of their own death. The death of the body. This is in order to develop commitment to the path. If we're serious about our spirituality, we realize that we can't waste our time on very superfluous things because eventually we'll go to the grave and enter the internal worlds. If we're asleep in this physical world, we won't have certainty of that state of consciousness when we die. And this is a very scary thing to think about. Because when we physically go to sleep, we black out for eight hours typically and don't remember anything. This indicates that we are asleep consciously in the physical world. But if we want to have real experiences, real certainty of the afterlife, we have to awaken here and now. And so, the truth of certainty is given in Surah 56, Al-Waqiyah, the inevitable, of which we will read a few excerpts. Indeed, it is a noble Qur'an in a register well protected. None touch it except the purified. So the Qur'an in Arabic means recitation. It is recorded as a scripture in the internal planes, according to the Sufis guarded by the Elohim or Buddhas, the angels, the masters. It is only accessible to those who are purifying themselves, for those who have the truth of certainty. So what does it mean to be purified? It means to work on our own mind, our own egotism, our defects. Because if we don't comprehend our own errors and work to eliminate them, we cannot develop our spiritual sight. We cannot awaken within the internal dimensions. Because the reason why we may not have experiences in the beginning is because of our own psychological obscurations, our defects. If you wish to see the internal worlds, wish to see within meditation what we are, we must remove the veil of our understanding of the mind. So like any scripture, we can only interpret when we are pure. When we have awakened our consciousness. We move beyond the knowledge of certainty. We see it for ourselves. And by the grace of divinity, we can have that truth unveiled in its totality. It is a revelation from the Lord of the worlds. Then is it to this statement that you are indifferent and make the thanks for your provision that you deny the provider. Many people are indifferent, even in Gnosis. What does it mean to be indifferent to any religious or spiritual teaching? It means to be asleep, to not feel the urgency to want to change. If we don't feel that longing in our heart to want to know and to give thanks to our inner divinity, it means that we are very hypnotized by our own mind. We are indifferent, we are cold. 
lukewarm according to the Bible. But any one of us who is studying this type of knowledge feels spiritual inquietudes, the impetus of the being that is pushing us to work to develop the genuine truth of certainty in ourselves. So the way that we can develop that further is meditate on our own death, which is why the Quran states, then why, when the soul at death reaches the throat and you are at the time looking on, and our angels are nearer to him than you, but you do not see, then why do you not, if you are not to be recompensed, bring it back if you should be truthful? And if the deceased was of those brought near to Allah, then for him is rest and bounty in a garden of pleasure. So many people, they live their life mechanically and then they die not knowing where they will go or where they came from. And this is very sad. Any one of us who is studying meditation is very pushed by our own inner God. We have the longings to want to really see the mysteries of life and death, to be inspired. And it is this inspiration that pushes us to experiment, to know. Because we fear and we have that anxiety that we don't know where we're going. And that if we don't work on our own conduct, we may end up in states of suffering worse than our present life. Because the divine law is the law of cause and effect. We will reap what we sow. And if we think that we will not be recompensed for our wrong action, then Simply look at our life. If we are honest, bring it back if you should be truthful. We cannot deny the law of causality. It is in every aspect of nature and the universe. This is the law of Sharia, the divine law. But if we are brought near to our inner being, Allah, through meditation, through practice, then for him or her is rest and bounty and a garden of pleasure. And if he was of the companions of the right, those people who are following this path, then the angels will say, peace for you, you are from the companions of the right. But if he was one of the deniers who were astray, people who feed their ego, who do not work on their mind, then for him is a combination of scalding water and burning in hellfire. So what is this left-hand path and right-hand path? We won't go into too much detail here, but the right-hand path refers to people who are working to incarnate the being, who are eliminating the ego. The left-hand path is often referred to as the path of the sorcerers, the black magicians, people who fortify desire and who enter states of suffering which are very intense. So indeed, this is the true certainty. So exalt the name of your Lord, the Most Great. That is the end of that surah. So this is true certainty. And many people often get very afraid when they read the Quran. They see the language is very strong, mention of damnation and hellfire and states of suffering, and become very afraid and very averse to this tradition. But if we awaken our consciousness in the internal planes, we find that we are recompensed for what we do. It is a law of nature. If we are good people, we develop our conduct and develop certainty 
we know that we will go to better states when physically the body dies. But if we are passionate, filled with hatred, with violence, with adultery, with sarcasm, with Phariseeism, fanaticism, egotism, we will naturally follow the trajectory of our own actions. This is the truth of certainty. The law, the truth, al-haq. It is the way to see how to get out of that. And meditation aids us in that process. So, everybody in Gnosis wants to have experiences, as I've been stating. And many people start to practice meditation and don't have experiences. Become very frustrated and discouraged. This happens often and is a normal process because it's not easy to first work on our own mind. And that's the priority in this tradition. We don't seek to have experiences, although they're very beautiful and necessary. But the priority is working on our own defects. So this is why it says in the Quran, Surah 2, known as Al-Baqarah, verse 118, those who have no knowledge, ilm or marifah in Arabic, say, why does not Allah speak to us or come to us a sign? meaning through some kind of meditative experience. So said those who were before them, words similar to what they say, alike are their hearts. What does it mean that their hearts are alike? Meaning they want to have experiences, they're attached to the concept of having a samadhi or a mystical vision, but their hearts are lukewarm. Their hearts have not been purified. Remember that we stated in the Quran that the Quran is only read by those who are purified, can only be understood in that way. And Prophet Muhammad taught in the Hadith, the oral tradition of Islam. There is an organ in the body which, when it is pure, affects the whole health of the organism. But when it is impure, it pollutes everything. This organ is the heart. And the polish of the heart is dakir, remembrance of God. It is like a mirror. If you polish your heart through ethical conduct, your heart can reflect the heavens. And then experience comes naturally, easily. And this is why the Quran states, we have certainly made the science clear for a people who have certainty. When we have verified it. But of course, certainty of the truth only comes about by working on the ego which is why Al-Kushari, in his book Principles of Sufism, stated on certainty, knowledge does not come about except by the prior fulfillment of its conditions. That is, one must examine things in a pertinent and relevant way. So this is the beginning, as we were stating. Study the doctrine. Memorize it. Develop certainty of knowledge. Be pertinent and relevant. Look at those things in your own daily life that you want to change most and look at the aspects of the doctrine that are most relevant to that. Some people study Kabbalah first. Some people 
psychology, meditation, alchemy. We have to study all these things together in their relationship. But how our study unfolds is natural to us, our own idiosyncrasy. We have to examine things in a very relevant way. Study meditation, how to practice it, and apply it to your life. This is what is most important, pertinent. And when we're studying these things and applying these things, then when the hints of the divine become continuous and clear, or clear demonstrative evidence has been obtained, the perceiver, the meditator, to the succession of lights and his deep reflection upon them, becomes seemingly independent of the consideration of proof. So as we're practicing, we may experience many things. We develop evidence from our own experience. It is demonstrative. It is factual. Some people, when they're meditating, may see lights, images, scenes pulling out or playing out within their consciousness. Some people have visions, astral experiences, jinn experiences. And when deeply reflecting on these qualities through time and experience and practice, we become seemingly independent of the consideration of proof, meaning we're no longer filled with the desire to want to prove these things egotistically. The desire or the mind that says, I want to know, but this frustration is the obstacle. We can deeply reflect on these truths, but we don't necessarily crave the understanding or experience. It'll appear in our consciousness when we stop thinking about it, when we silence our mind, relax our mind, withdraw our senses from the physical world, from our body, in which when the mind is serene and calm, our heart is purified. The deep reflection, the lights of divinity can reflect in us. This is the state of certainty. And that is when we know, when we have the experiences. But first, polish the mirror. As Rumi stated, your goal is not to seek after love, but to merely remove the causes and conditions that have prevented you from knowing it. Meaning, remove the ego. And in that way, we grow spiritually. So when we study the principles of meditation, we're going to study the tree of life in its synthesis. The tree of life on the left is the map of Kabbalah. These are levels of consciousness, levels of being, which the Sufis speak abundantly about without using the Hebrew language. And we won't explain all the dynamics of this tree of life, but merely introduce it in the context of our discussion. Because this map helps us to understand where we are. Where we are in our meditation. We have to learn this tree of life very deeply. It's levels of consciousness, levels of being. So that when we study any scriptures, such as the Quran, we can interpret it with clarity, with understanding. And in this way, we apply these principles to our life so that we can really deepen our meditative practice. For example, we have the lower seven sephirot, which means spheres in Hebrew. It is a map of the multidimensionality of our universe, of the different dimensions of the cosmos, but also our, our own psyche. We have Malkut, the physical body. We have Yasod, the energetic 
ethereal, or vital forces which permeate our physicality and give it life. We have Hod, our emotional vehicle or body of dreams. We operate in this vehicle when we enter the dream world, which we navigate in those planes of experience when the physical body is asleep. Likewise, we have Netzach, which is our mind, our thoughts. We have Tiferet, our willpower, our human soul. It is the beauty of the soul, which the, the Muslims have referred to by the name Hassan. Hassan reminds us of Ihsan, meaning beautiful action. It is through our own will that we can act beautifully for divinity, which is our own consciousness. Geburah, meaning justice in Hebrew. The conscience, our sense of right and wrong, our intuition, which tells us what to do, how to act. Sometimes our will in daily life may act egotistically, may follow our own mind or emotions, may misuse our vital energies and the physical body. Or other times we may learn to use our will to follow our hunches, our spiritual inquietudes, our conscience, which is Geburah, the divine soul. And in this way we learn to practice ethics so that we can experience the spirit, Al-Haq, the truth, has said. On the right, we see an image of a tree of life within Islam because the Muslims didn't explicitly teach about this tree of life. Although in their writings, you can understand those principles if we are informed, which is part of the purpose of this course, so that we can look at these principles and apply them to our studies. And so meditation is experienced when we learn to work with the tree of life in us. Calm the body, rest our vital energies, such as through mantras, sacred sounds, alchemy, runes, pranayama, sacred rites of rejuvenation. We calm our heart through prayer, through humility, through polishing our emotional center, our emotional qualities. We silence and calm our mind withdraw our senses from the physical body, our energies, our emotions, our thoughts. We concentrate our willpower in order to reflect within, to follow our intuition, our consciousness. And in that way, we can have experiences of the spirit. But that's a very synthetic way of talking about this dynamic. We'll come back to this again and again, but I merely wanted to introduce this tree of life in the context of our course, because we'll go very deep into these principles. So what are the essential principles of meditation that we've been discussing? In the Gnostic tradition, we have concentration and imagination produces the state of meditation. Concentration is the, the ability to focus on one thing without thinking of anything else. Imagination is our capacity to perceive images of a non-physical type. So, if I were to ask you to imagine an apple, you can see it in your mind. It's not physical, but we perceive images that are not physical. That's a very simple example of this quality. It is the capacity to perceive internal imagery such as their dreams. 
But if we wish to have that type of perception very developed, we have to work with many exercises to develop our imagination, which we'll be explaining in this course. Concentration is when we are able to focus on one thing with our willpower, our attention, without being distracted. We develop our concentration through ethics. Our mind is wild. We can't concentrate, focus on one thing when we sit to practice if we are engaging in unethical behavior all day. We feed our anger, the mind becomes agitated. We feel lust, we pollute our mind stream with conditions of mind, desire, which are contrary to the state of imagination. We can't see clearly if the mind is in chaos. And this is the meaning of polishing the heart. The heart is developed through our ethics. And when the heart is polished, we can reflect the images of God. And this is the state of meditation. So this is the Gnostic conception of this dynamic. Concentration, imagination, equals meditation, the state of comprehension. The Buddhists refer this as shamatha and vipassana, which relates and completes samadhi, mystical experience. And the Sufis refer to this dynamic as silence and insight, which refers to witnessing the truth. They all teach the same thing. And while you may be familiar with the Buddhist conception or the Gnostic teaching of this dynamic, we're going to explore these principles according to Sufism. So by obtaining silence of mind, serenity of mind, we develop understanding or insight. We can see things clearly in us. And of course, there are many practices to develop serenity, concentration. And there are also practices to develop imagination. To conclude, in order to ex develop certainty in us, to develop real worship and divinity, we have to combine silence and insight, according to the Sufis, serenity and visualization, concentration and imagination. Dualnun al-Masri, or Misri, was a Sufi initiate who wrote the following. The key to success in worship lies in meditative reflection, fikrat. Whoever persists in such reflection in the heart will behold the invisible realm in the spirit. So this means polish your mind, polish your heart, act ethically, develop compassion for others, especially when you are tempted to behave in negative ways. Work on anger. Look in yourself at anger, see it for what it is, comprehend it, reflect upon it, see it, develop serenity in you so that when you are working on your mind in meditation, you can go deep. Reflect in yourself, be deep, be profound. In this way, we awaken our consciousness to behold the invisible realm, the tree of life in the spirit. Whosoever contemplates God through keeping watch over the thoughts which pass through his heart will be exalted by God in all of his outward deeds. So this is the meaning of truly we are closer to you than your jugular vein. Because whosoever acts 
by working on their own mind, their own thoughts, by what they can perceive here and now, we learn to purify ourselves. It is only by purifying our mind, by acting ethically, that we develop genuine serenity, silence, and eventually insight and understanding. So we'll be examining these principles very deeply in the coming months. But I'd like to invite you to ask questions. Hello. Um, I have a question in regarding the indifference approach. Um, now, my question is that in a lot of the also Samuel's teachings, he talks about how we almost we should also have a or a I would say an indifference attitude towards the studies, um, not necessarily um, what you meant as that, but to, to how I understood it was to approach it with a a state of it's more like equanimity that as of that indifference, not more like with a attitude of. Um, of like you said, of of laziness and attitude of 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 n- not having that fuel to 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 go after those experiences and things like that. So can um could you kind of expand a little bit about that because I, I know you know there's there's both ways there's both approaches. Absolutely, very uh, good comment. What some island VR mentions about practicing with indifference has to do with, as you said, being neutral, having a state of equanimity, not being driven by passion or craving to have experiences, but neither wanting to reject what we see, but to verify and to test. So there's two forms of indifference, as you mentioned, and that we were talking about. One is to be in a state of equanimity and to be scientific test and verify. Look at what the teachings provide, practice them, but don't expect an immediate reward. But neither don't fear what the outcome may be, but simply work with them and try them with an open mind. This is the meaning of pouring new wine in new wineskins or a new cup, a fresh cup. We learn to drink that experience and those practices by trying them and seeing what works from experience. But the other type of indifference is, in terms of the Quranic language, not really caring about or having the inspiration to want to practice at all. So it's a very different thing, as you know. One thing is to practice with a neutral, equanimity state of mind, but one thing is to be so lazy and intellectual to not want to try anything at all. And this is a state, the latter state is what is very common in the Gnostic movement, or any tradition really. People may like to study intellectually and are very fascinated by theory and they have the knowledge of certainty of things, but they're really lukewarm when it comes to dedication. And dedication is fulfilled when we practice this science. Thank I hope you that, uh, so much. Clarifies. You're welcome. No, it really does. It really does. It is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's good. Thanks for the awesome uh, lecture. 
I have a quick question. You're welcome. Um, would it be accurate to say that um, serving humanity, um, showing compassion to others, um, would it be would it be accurate to say that you know, yeah, going to help out in a soup kitchen or something like that is 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 wonderful and, and a great thing to do, but to really serve humanity is to act ethically, correct? To um, not act out of negative emotions, not act out of the eyes, but to, you know, not try to dominate uh, moments or always be right or uh, point out um, how others are wrong. And but 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 is it accurate to say that that serving humanity is 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 ethics? Absolutely. Because any type of service becomes corrupt if we do it with our desires. If we are working on our anger, our pride, our fear, and our negative internal states, that's going to be the greatest form of worship. As uh, Dual Noon on Misri teaches, too, and many of the Sufis, while we don't negate the need to want to help other people, we perfect that art when we are being patient with ourselves and patient with other people. Because in terms of serving humanity, we have our jobs, we have our careers, we have certain services that we are doing to genuinely help others. But the quality of that service is contingent upon our own mental states. So they're both hand in hand. But more importantly, if we're going to serve well, we have to work on our ego. And that's really the greatest form of sacrifice and service. Because we can work at a job that we really hate, that is very difficult, and yet it is where our being needs us to be. Personally, I have a job that is very difficult. I work with very difficult clients who test me all the time, who are very negative. And many times I've wanted to quit my job. I've wanted to leave because it's been a very painful process. But I found that my being has put me there and I've verified this through experiences many times. In order to work on my patience, work on my ethics, and work on my mind. Because when I've been able to change my own negative internal states, my own frustrations or anger, I've really been able to serve humanity better at that job. And our greatest form of prayer for divinity is when we comprehend and annihilate anger, which is why Prophet Muhammad taught, the strongest among you is he who controls his anger. Because we can't really help other people if we're afflicted by our own desires. So they relate to each other, service and the death of the ego. There are really two aspects, or each aspect of the same thing, including the other factor, which is birth, birth, death, sacrifice, the three factors of Gnosticism. But of course, it's a form of prayer in which we no longer react to life. We contemplate God in our thoughts and our deeds and our hearts. And when we don't act on our ego but act virtuously, God exalts us and helps us with certain meditative states and experiences.
hope that answers your question. Yes, definitely. Thank you. So, um, so the sacrifice, the sacrifice, and this the serving humanity that that can come through voluntary suffering, right? Is that what the voluntary suffering is when yes. when you're you're in an ordeal and you you want to you want to argue back and improve that you're right or show that you're the victim in 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 the situation, but instead. You, you don't act on your anger, you don't act on your pride, and, and that's where that voluntary, because that, that, that's hard, because you, you want to you, you wanna point out that, you know, that you're being wronged, but instead, you take the higher, the higher road, and, and that's that voluntary suffering, correct? Absolutely. And that is really the foundation of developing certainty. People want to experience God, but they don't want to work on the veil that covers them. Because when we're angry, we don't see God. We see anger. We want to hurt. But if you're changing your mental states, you're tearing the veil of ISIS, according to the Freemasons. And that way we can really serve the other person, especially when they're crucifying us, metaphorically speaking. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.